0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash off. LinkedIn News. From the news team at LinkedIn, I'm Jesse Hempel, and this is Hello Monday. It's our show about the changing nature of work and how that work is changing us. I have a high voice. When I'm nervous, it climbs even higher. Now, I've always been a little self-conscious about it. I remember a colleague of mine at a magazine. He once said to me that I sounded like a baby doll. Now, he meant it as a compliment, I think. Or maybe he just said it to say it, I don't know. But it stuck with me. A baby doll is a child's toy. It doesn't even make a sound. A baby doll just sits around and waits for others to play with it. I don't want to sound like a baby doll. I want to sound like me, for people to take me seriously as me. But what does that even mean? We know that voices convey power. There's a direct relationship between the sound that comes out of our mouths and the way we get treated. Today's guest is Samara Bay, and understanding this truth, well, it's her work. Samara is an author and a voice coach. Maybe you saw Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. Well, Samara coached her. She's worked with actors in Hollywood on accents for specific roles. And she's worked with hopeful female politicians whose voices carried their very political futures. Now she has a new book for all of us. It's called Permission to Speak, how to change what power sounds like, starting with you. Today, we're gonna focus on how our voice stories are formed. We'll learn how to honor the things that used to work for us. The fake accents or lowered tones. Samara will offer up small shifts that help us sink into a more whole expression of ourselves. I hope that by the time we're done, we'll aspire to listen to other people differently. And we'll speak the truest version of our own voices. Here's Samara.
1: We all have a voice story. And some of it is really literal. Like, you know, here's where I grew up and here's what my parents sounded like. And here's the accent that I knew that I had. Or here's the accent I didn't know I had until I left. And some of it is these much subtler micro adjustments we've made in the different rooms we've been in because on some subliminal level, we're picking up like, here's what will make me seem likable. Or here's what will make me not stand out. Or here's what will make me stand out, right? Here's what that one extremely charismatic person is doing. Let me try to take on a few of their... Attributes, even though it's new and weird to me. So, you know, the answer to your question of where these come from is both deeply personal, right? Each of us making those decisions in the moment based on our personality, based on the rooms we're in, based on our identity and how safe we feel in those spaces, right? This is also where we can talk very specifically about code switching, a term that's used really frequently in linguistics and then also in the social justice space to call out that people who are Black historically have been taught and feel the obligation to sound quote-unquote white in predominantly white spaces. And the idea of code switching is actually something that all humans do. When our whole body is picking up, ooh, here's what the norm is for this space. Yep. Should I meet it? Do I need to? And we're making these decisions, of course, below the level of conscious thought. Of um, so part of it is our personal relationship to our own voice and to the rooms we've been in. And then part of it, un- inextricably linked, right? It's it's impossible to separate, is these massive cultural stories. And this is what I hit on when I was coaching those women. And then when I started coaching my friends who were, you know, pitching in Hollywood as writers or as directors. And then I started coaching entrepreneurs and then women in the C-suite. And, and, and not just women also, I should clarify. I mean, if you're listening to this and anything about your voice feels like it has marked you as other, yeah. right? yeah. I hear, I see you. Most of us have inner complicated feelings about our voice that are interconnected with shame and with a sense of, I can't hack it. And part of what I'm here to do is just blow that wide open and say, hi, turn to your neighbor, turn to your other neighbor. We all have this. So to circle back, what does that mean? It means it's cultural. And what I really happened upon is that there are standards, there are voice standards There are voice biases and they are based on thousands of years of cultural stories about who the public was literally built for, who it's made for, and what people who speak in it are, you know, supposed to sound like. Right. And if you don't sound like that because of your own life experience, you have to reckon with, do I try to reconcile myself? Do I try to become? Or do I try to
0: stand in whatever this other thing is and call it power? So you frame that as a question, and I will say that I spent the first half of my life um, answering that uh, according to the second path you laid out. How can I make myself sound more masculine, more authoritative, all of the things that I think that success, based on the fact that we've all grown up in the capitalistic patriarchy that we have, success looks like, you offer a path through this that asks us to to reach for something else and i want you to give me an alternative picture of what power can look like for somebody with my voice
1: (laughs) and sound like yeah i love that thank you yeah and this is also why this is this is a linkedin conversation right we're all here because we're interested in what not just the job we have now but leadership And us might look like and sound like together. And so, yeah, at the heart of this question about our own relationship to our voice is our own relationship to the kind of leadership we would like to see more of in the world and the invitation that we each have to perform, to embody, to be that kind of leadership every time we speak. So if we would like to see a world in which Leaders are whole humans in which leaders can graciously, lovingly make mistakes and also still be strong. How do we do that? Well, one of the ways is by honoring all the parts of our identity that come out when we open our mouth. And also, by the way, listening well to others who are trying to do the same. Because voice bias works both ways, right? Some of us are judging our own voice. I say some very loosely. I mean all. Uh, it's a complicated thing, right? Our relationship to our voice. How are, how are we discounting ourselves? How are others discounting us is a massive part of this conversation. Calling out voice bias, checking it is the other. So what does that mean? How do we listen to other people? Even those of us who consider ourselves the most open-minded or progressive are making values judgments based on how people sound every day because we've been trained to do so by these Yeah, this lovely, lovely, primal brain of ours. And we get to do what we do with biases, which is have a second thought after that. Right. Oh, that person has a strong accent. I can't understand them. I I need to speak to somebody else. Wait, hold on a second. Is their accent actually too strong? Or are they just showing us what a person who speaks multiple languages sounds like and that they are English right where they stand? And I'm curious. And if I can understand them, then we can have a conversation
0: stopping on the idea of what it means to be a good listener when it comes to voice. I want to really take a moment on that idea because it would be very easy to plow into how we can perform our own voices better before Mm. we take the time that the topic deserves to think about the intake. And so first of all, there is listening well. And second of all, there's recognizing bias. And I think that most of the listeners of our show... We're a pretty sophisticated bunch. We understand that there's bias layered around us. Um, I sometimes feel overwhelmed by that. And for me, one thing that I try to keep in mind is I, I'm not going to eradicate all bias. If I can bring my attention lightly to it, if I can create just the littlest bit of space to sit mm-hmm. with it, then, then that's moving in the right direction. And there is a gentleness that I try to invite listeners to remember here, that taking the pause is the action that will shift things?
1: Taking the pause is a radical act. Absolutely. As we speak, I'm in Puerto Rico at this conference, and there was a panel yesterday with a moderator and then two speakers, and they had such different styles. They were both Black women. They were both well-respected in the activism movement space. And one of them had this really declarative sort of poet taking up space voice and the other was much gentler and I I had that moment where I went, oh, that second person doesn't have quite as strong of a stage presence. And then I had the second moment where because I'm me, right? I'm like really, really actively doing this. And I ended up talking about it afterwards to people because other people brought it up and noticed as well. And in that second moment I thought this gentler, quieter, lean-in, intimate version of taking up space is also a valid way of showing up in the world. And what if more people felt like that was available to them?
0: Right. Right. So so let's turn now to our listener who is thinking, maybe I'm a person who's been accused of having vocal fry. You know, maybe (laughs) I'm a person who feels disconnected from my voice in some way. How do I move toward wholeness? in my Mm -hmm. voice? How do I take up the space that I was given in the world with my voice? There's so many
1: practical answers to that. I am going to start big for a second. One of them is, as you do think about your own voice story, uh, the habits you've picked up and why, um, you're allowed to be both loving, compassionate, and also critical. So what habit did I pick up in order to get by in my first job that made me seem small and that worked? And can I celebrate that that worked? Going up at the end of our sentences is a great example of this. There are a billion functions for what's called upspeak, and I am not here to demonize any of them, to be clear. And sometimes we pick that up because it's a way of saying, hi, I'm here, I'm present, I have a bold idea, but I don't really know. What do you think? Which is a practical Uh, skill when you want to come across as really unintimidating and it has probably worked for you in certain rooms. And the question is, and now, right? And then how to undo it is its own thing, right? I have a a exercise in the book about like throwing an imaginary ball that can kind of help you figure out what your pitch swoops are up, down and out. But you know, the how is, 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 is easier actually to shift than, than sitting in the why, you know, I have this, this origin story for myself really of, of how I came into this work, which is that when I was 24, I was in the middle of a graduate acting program and lost my voice and it was months and I was struggling with how to get my voice back and I was not sick and I couldn't figure it out. And I finally went to an ear, nose and throat doctor and they stuck a little camera up my nose and down the back of my throat, which was a feeling I will never forget and took a photo of my vocal cords. And from that, it was totally clear what the problem was. I had these little blisters on both sides of the V of our vocal cords where they were hitting in the wrong spot, which is a telltale sign of vocal nodules. And specifically for me that I was talking a tiny bit too low for what my body wanted. And you know why I did it? It took me a while to figure out and a speech pathologist and some thinking. But I think it's pretty clear now that I, in high school on some subliminal level, realized that I looked really smiley and warm and cute and having a little bit of a lower voice kind of juxtaposed against that. But that's not the point. The point is, when I got back to class, the day that I got that diagnosis, the guy who was the head of the program stopped the whole class. Everybody turned to me, and he said, "What was the diagnosis?" And I said, "Very painfully, vocal nodules. I, I have to go on vocal rest." And he said, "Ha! Just as I thought, bad usage." Right? It's like not even a phrase that has deep culturally agreed upon meaning, but I got it in that moment. I the got. The problem is
0: you, Samara. The
1: problem <laughs> is you, self sabotage. What a bummer for shame. And that shame definitely stuck with me. Why did I do this to myself? Why did I do this to myself? So that is the other part, right? When we get told you speak too high or you say like too much or you have this bad habit of blah, blah, blah. What we hear is you picked up a habit that is now undermining you. Why did you do that? You idiot. So part of part of the to answer your question, right? Part of the undoing is to just honor that we did this because it worked in some context and now we get to figure out what works next
0: you know as I listen to you tell that story I think okay here we are and so many of us I mean I throw like in all the time I use um all the time and we used Mm -hmm. it in our first season we edited out Mm -hmm. mm-hmm oh, my goodness, I don't even sound like a real person. It's terrible. You don't really trust me as a host until you hear the way that I speak. and I love that because trust is so real in this conversation. It's yes. everything, right? The closer yes. I can get to speaking as I speak, the more you will trust me. And that's implicit. You may not understand why. At the same time, our listeners, myself, we work in the cultures we work in. We want to get ahead. We want to be recognized. We want more authority. We want more money. We want more of all of the things in the cultures we work in. Um, How is honoring the voices that we have and learning to lean into everything that we know about the voices we have, how does that help us? So uh, practically speaking first,
1: the likes and the ums, they're useful, right? The likes end up sounding like our peers, even though we may be policing them inside our own head or angry that we picked up this habit. Um, We sound like who we love. Yeah. This is one of the aspects of how voices work. Yeah. The ums help us think, right? An um is actually an out loud signal that I have something else to say, but I'm not quite there yet. And the listener on some subliminal level actually receives it as a generous act of signaling. So Partly it's about letting go of, of some of the policing around that, partly it's that here's a fun fact when we give ourselves permission to take up the kind of space we deserve to take up with both our body and with our thoughts right we say um less oh
0: that's interesting
1: so this is why I'm coming into this whole sort of big public speaking industry from a sideways place and why the word permission is repeated <laughs> five times <laughs> cover my book because I really deeply believe from experience, from coaching hundreds of people at this point in workshops, as well as one-on-one that when we shift our whole approach so that in a way we're not approaching public speaking or moments of, you know, high stakes, um, speaking, from a fear-based perspective I hope they don't laugh at me but rather from a love-based perspective how do I talk about what I care about in a way that sounds like I care about it that is how we earn trust it's how we make an impact it's how everybody who you've ever listened to who you've loved and been like oh god I gotta share that speech instantly with my six best friends it's what they're doing right so how do we show up that way instead of the I hope they don't laugh at me
0: yeah We're going to take a quick break here, but stick around, because when we come back, we'll have more with Samara Bay. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise.
1: We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Beray's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One.
0: And we're back. As Samara and I were talking, I found myself thinking about my kids. So my daughter, she turns two later this year, she's just started to talk and one of her very first words is sorry. Sorry, mom. Sorry, brother. I'm not even sure she knows what it means, but I'm so aware of its presence in her vocabulary. We get messages about how our culture wants us to speak so early. Do we even have a chance of unlearning it? Here's Samara.
1: I've seen it happen in an hour-long workshop, so yes. I mean, your point is deeply well taken. I'm also raising a kid, and I'm also curious about, is there a world in which unlearning is not necessary? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, what I like to say that I'm offering, cause I've realized over time, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have all the answers. Obviously I'm, um, I'm just really curious about this stuff that I'm offering some language, some space and some sense of solidarity for us to start to explore the ways in which we've picked up habits that served us and now don't. And then, and, and the, then what around that. So One of the things that happens when you have some language, some space, and some solidarity is the shift begins to happen immediately. And does the shift get you to something that feels... Uh, authentic and free and full voiced and like joy incarnate at every moment. No, and that's not even really a thing. It's, It's that the beginning of the shift into something heading in that direction is hope. It's promise. It's a new world. And it's listening better so that the people around us have the freedom to do that too. And that actually is a absolutely revolutionary act, even if it's tiny. So yes, I 100% believe it's possible. And in fact, it's almost impossible not to when you start thinking about this stuff. I've had people tell me that just from listening to a podcast, they've already started to shift their relationship to how they're going to prepare the next time that they speak, Mm -hmm. which is so cool because, you know, books are awesome. By my book. I did the audiobook too. But also the book is meant to try to capture the spirit of what I hope is sort of a movement, which can be tiny in our own lives. This sense of spreading permission, this sense of what if I'm not just constantly chasing this standard I've been conditioned to think is the only way powerful people are allowed to sound and get taken seriously. And instead, I decide that how I sound Perhaps shoving off a few of the habits I've picked up to play small. How I sound at my most free, around my favorite people, when I know that I have power and agency and deserve to have my ideas be in the world. But that version of how I sound is the new sound of power.
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that full stop, Samara. And I should say for our listeners, we're not getting into it in this conversation, but your book is... Is pretty pragmatic, right? We've been we've been talking about a lot of the theoretical p- aspects of this. I mean, your book starts with the breath. It takes us through a, a path to communicating in a way that, as I closed it, I thought, "Oh, like I get it. I I trust myself more." So, um, oh, so it's lovely. worth checking you out. You
1: know, I like to say the the title "Permission to Speak" is so. Um, helpful actually because the permission side you right is what i'm mm-hmm. talking about a lot um as as we have this conversation but the speaking side for any of you who play um, musical instruments, this will sound familiar, the human voice ha- is often described in terms of four really useful dynamics. Pitch is one of them, right? So we were talking about sounding high or sounding low, but there's also this pitch variation, right? How much range we reveal as we talk. I just had this aha when I was coaching people that the amount of range we reveal codes to vulnerability. When we don't want to reveal anything about ourselves because it's not a safe space because it's not a work environment that encourages that we can go into our throat really easily. And actually this is what vocal fry is. So we end up being like, yeah, I mean, so I was just sort of thinking we should um, all do this new big idea, but like, you know, I'm not sure. Right. But it has an extremely useful survival mechanism, which is, you don't know whether I care about this or not. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm protected. And then the opposite, right? I'm not saying we should do some clownish up and down. And I also am not saying that some of the old tiny journalistic styles of now we're going to use a lot of pitch just to sound like we're connected is a good thing, right? Uh, It's not, to be clear, it's not. Uh, And some people are still teaching that and perhaps you should stop because it does not breed trust. But the amount of pitch variation we show when right. we're actually connected to what we're saying and free, we feel free to share how much we're connected, is very revealing. So that's pitch. But then there's also volume, right? Tone, right? Which is um, can both mean the timbre of your voice. Like I, I was out late last night because I'm in Puerto Rico with a bunch of friends, and so you're hearing that in my voice. But also tone is um, our orientation to the person we're talking to. Yeah. Do we seem like we're turning towards them or away from them, right? Do we seem playful? Do we seem flirty? Do we seem serious? Do we seem cold, right? Um, Tone. And then the final one is uh, speed, pace. Mm. And all of those should be, I think, shifting throughout the day, throughout a single conversation based on the content of the words. But we're often told by the industry of bad advice Things like keep your voice low if you want to get taken seriously, low pitched, right? Um, but also low volume, right? No one wants right. you to. No one wants you to get so connected that you're talking loudly, unless you're in a pulpit situation. Um, but also, if you Google how to sound authoritative, uh, the internet will tell you
0: seventy five percent your uh, natural pace, please. Yeah. Well, I, as you talk, I just think, well, um, Samara Siri always sounds the same. I wrote a lot about the sort of how these technologies assumed the voices that they have. And the short answer to how they assume the voices that they have is the marketers decided, not the technologists. And the marketers decided because all the research suggests that men like to hear women tell them um, helpful things and women prefer to hear women tell them helpful things. In fact, if you are talking to a... Uh, like a banking system, and the banking system is using automated messages to walk you through you know, various helpful things, those will be female automated messages. But sometimes you will be switched to a male voice when it's time to make a transaction, even though it's just another computer voice, right? Um, which is all to say, like, our technology actually is busily replicating all of the biases that you um, are asking us to rethink and perhaps consider undoing. And it it leaves me wondering then, like, what that technology is communicating back to us as we evolve our own voices.
1: Everything that you just said maps directly onto power. So we don't necessarily want a woman telling us what to do when it comes to that final transaction, right? Or what kind of a movie we're listening to. The decisiveness is given to men, right? And the invitation is given to women. That might be too much of a reduction, but yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I've, I've read those articles as well about what Siri is reinforcing. And, um, I think in many ways, right. The, the tech world and the marketing world outside of tech is reinforcing biases because a quick win is a quick win. And this is how capitalism works. And if we want to really go there, I think that this book is a, um, public speaking and our relationship to our voice at scale through a social justice lens. And that requires that we consider the ways in which not just white supremacy and patriarchy and capitalism have influenced us, but colonialism as well. The ways in which we are continuing to tell the story that a certain person is more powerful than another. And if we would like to decolonize our world and live in one that is more joyful, more in touch with the world, feels good on the inside. Um well we have to look at our biases and the way that they're built into all the things that we are using on a daily basis. Yes.
0: Yes. Um not not just we have to, we get to, right? This is mm. this is something that we aren't obligated to do. This is an opportunity that that stretches out before us. And and with that I wanna bring us to, you know, the theme of our our programming for this entire year is pragmatic optimism. And so with that, I want to ask you by way of closing, Samara, do you consider yourself to be an optimistic person?
1: Deeply, deeply. And in fact, I sold this book in March of 2020. And the clock started on writing this thing. And it was hard. I mean, it was hard for all the reasons that book writing is hard. Plus, you know, I was home with an at the time four-year-old as the world shut down. And it was a it was an act of practice to sit down at the computer every day that I had, you know, a chunk of time to write and think to myself, what is the invitation to the world that I would like to live in? And can I connect to that before I start any words on the page? And I, I worked that muscle really, really hard. Yeah.
0: That was voice coach and author Samara Bay. Check out samarabay.com for more information on her work or, and it's been a while since I've been able to say this, come to Office Hours and meet her yourself. Samara will be joining us and taking your questions about voice and power. We'll go live from the LinkedIn news page at 3 p.m. Eastern. Hope to see you there. Also, I wanted to invite you to join our new Hello Monday group on LinkedIn. Just search for it or check out the show notes for a link. If you can't make Office Hours, you can still always find us here I like to think, and I really truly believe this, that the Hello Monday group on LinkedIn is the kindest, most respectful place you'll find on the internet. Hello Monday is a production of LinkedIn News. Sarah Storm produces our show. It's engineered by Asaf Gadron. Rafa Faria, Wallace Truesdale, Kanaya Rogers, Michaela Greer, and Victoria Taylor help us to use our voices for change. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Courtney Coop is head of original programming. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our theme music was composed just for us by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. I'm Jesse Hempel. We'll be back next Monday. Thanks for listening. Sorry, ma'am. What are you sorry about? Sorry, ma'am. What are you sorry about though?